Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to 90 Day with Mary Jane K. Today I'll be breaking down Before the 90 Days, Season 5, Episode 11, Back to Square One. The episode opens with an over-the-moon Kimberly and Usman. Usman just barely opens his eyes and Kim's face is right in front of his face, enthusiastically saying, Boyfriend, boyfriend, we had sex last night, as if he didn't know. She's giddy and elated, acting very immature. She doesn't act her age at all. Not everyone is a morning person. Personally, for me, I hate waking up and seeing someone's face staring at me, watching me sleep. It creeps me out, and I would be super annoyed AF if my boyfriend was at level 100 energy, talking and joking right when I open my eyes. Let me get my coffee. Let me adjust to the light of day. Kim doesn't seem to know how to just be chill. She's on cloud nine. She doesn't seem even killed, so... What happens when that hit of oxytocin that's bouncing around in her brain right now tapers off? She will swing like a pendulum in the opposite direction, and I have a feeling we're going to see that very, very, very soon when Usman breaks the news about Zara. Usman's eyes are still closed, and he asks, you want more? She says every day she's here, and she asks if Usman is happy about it, and he hasn't even woken up yet. Kim says she is scared to get out of bed and be walking all funny. Usman says probably because it wasn't a carrot. It was either a cassava or a yam. Kim is wearing her Soja Boy t-shirt during her confessional scenes, and she is very happy, glowing and animated, telling producers she had sex with Usman last night, and he's her boyfriend. She says it was amazing and everything she could wish for and more, and she mimics the size of Usman with her hands on the word more. Baby girl Lisa said Usman's dick was tiny, but Usman boasted about the size, and now Kim is just gushing. Men who boast, from my experience, are usually nothing to write home about in the size department, but you never know. Kim's resting bitch face has been gone. It's all vanished, and she is all smiles. Kim says there's a difference between African sex and American sex. Who knew? She's laughing as she goes in-depth about the sex. I'll leave that to you guys. If you want to watch the episode, you can watch her um, in-depth descriptions. She tells Usman she was surprised by him making her his girlfriend. Usman says he believes in action and actions speak louder than words. And Kim says, you gave me a lot of action last night. And she high-fives him. It's so lame. Usman said he made the choice to tell Kim she will be his girlfriend because he understands that Kim really loves him and she deserves his love too. He's not all smiles on cloud nine like Kim during her confessional. He says they had sex four times. Then he laughs and says it was a great night with the yummy yummy. Kim says she will make him very happy. Usman says he prays so. Kim says now they have to figure out how they will work out the logistics of everything, meaning the long distance. Usman seems very unconcerned. He says, it's working already. What else is she talking about? Kim explains where they will meet next, but she's very happy. He is happy. She is happy. But he never said he was happy from himself. In confessional, Kim says one of the biggest obstacles they face is logistics because they only have a few more days together before they both go back home. Kim says it will be hard not being able to touch Usman and returning to video calls and texts. It makes her cry just thinking about it. She tells Usman they can make this work and she will make him happier than any woman he has ever been with. 
Usman says, amen. He tells her one day he'll win a Grammy and hold her hand on stage. And he'll mention in his speech how Kim did a lot for him. He says she'll be there when Usman gets his Grammy because she got the yammy last night. Usman says he values his new relationship with Kimberly, but there is something he has been hiding from her. Usman has a secret and he doesn't want Kim finding out the wrong way. Usman feels he has to tell Kim because Kim really loves him and she deserves honesty. Usman says American ladies react to anything, so he hopes it won't affect their relationship. Next up are Ben and Mahogany. Ben is shirtless every opportunity he gets. I don't find him appealing at all. He has weird nipples as well, and they just totally skeeve me out. He has a glove on now, and he's applying bronzer for the first time ever. He wants to look good in case Mahogany sees him shirtless. Ben mentions he was a fitness model, and he likes having an even skin tone. He couldn't hold a candle to the fitness models of SoCal, but maybe he's a Michigan 8. I don't know about the men there, but I would care more about his intelligence level and self-awareness than the package he comes in. You can come in a beautiful package with no one home upstairs. He seems very focused on appearances when that ship has sailed. He claims to desperately want unconditional love, but he seems very hyper-focused on outside appearances. Ben says his MUA gave him some bronzer, and the producer asks, what is an MUA? And he clarifies, makeup artist. Ben's very in the know. He's an elite model, and he knows all the industry lingo you see. He puts on his mitt to apply bronzer so it doesn't get all over his hands, and he's rubbing in the bronzer, complaining that it's cold. Then he noticed it has sparkles in it, so he tries to rub it off. Ben says the trip hasn't gotten off to the best start because Mahogany didn't show up at the airport, and then she ghosted him for 24 hours, but she met him at the restaurant finally. Ben says it wasn't the first meeting he had envisioned for them. He pictured slow motion running towards each other and kissing in the airport. What the fuck? She told him not to board the plane. He told her he was coming regardless, and she didn't communicate back. Zero, nothing. So how did he envision their meeting would play out like a telenovela? This guy has incredibly unrealistic expectations of love and relationships. Ben says he felt unbelievable chemistry at the restaurant, and it was an unbelievable, magical moment. He tries on a compression shirt to make him pop, as he puts it, so all his muscle definition will show. This guy is short a few brain cells. He puts the shirt on inside out. The producer has to let him know that his shirt is in fact inside out. Ben attributes it to nerves. He says when he sees mahogany, he goes crazy. He acknowledges he's like a teenage kid trying to impress his girlfriend. Mahogany said she needed more time to even know if they would be in a relationship last time. They aren't even yet boyfriend and girlfriend in her eyes, but I doubt Ben got that down. Ben is relieved things went well, but he knows Mahogany has reservations about him. They meet at the boardwalk. Ben is nervous because the last couple days he was thrown for a loop and he doesn't know what to expect with Mahogany. He wants to impress her and he wants things to go well. I don't like it when guys try to be super impressive. I'd rather they just be themselves and let things vibe naturally. If you aren't natural and you're not always a specific way and you put on airs to be impressive just to snag a partner, it won't work long term because it's not authentic if you're just specifically trying to put your best foot forward. Mahogany says she is more comfortable with Ben today, but they have a long way to go. And she orders ceviche. 
For those that don't know, it's seafood like shrimp, octopus, scallops that is cut up raw and it's cooked by the acid in the lime or lemon juice and it's spiced. It's usually very spicy, served with salsa, but it's not cooked with heat. It's cooked from the acid in the lemon juice and it's very, very, very delicious. I love it. And she has been try it and he seems to not know what it is like he's never encountered it before and he says he loves it. He says me encanta. He says it's good. And then after he swallows, he gets the heat all of a sudden and it overwhelms him. And he says the spiciest thing he has is ketchup because he's an American. That's not a good excuse. I'm an American too. And by the way, ketchup isn't spicy. It has zero spice at all. It's sweet and vinegar. I'm American too. And I love sriracha sauce, cholula, salsa verde, salsa rojo, spicy jalapeno, carrots, the whole deal spicy Indian, everything, the spicier, the better. So that's no excuse. Ben seems to have no culture. He needs some culture. He doesn't seem very inquisitive or adventurous about the world. Ben says his plan is in visiting Mahogany is to get to know her better and to find out what God's plan is. He asks her, what made you lose trust in me when I got to Peru? And he asks Mahogany if it was her dad. Before he boarded the plane, She asked Ben not to come, citing that her dad did not trust Ben's intentions. She says it was the questions her father raised with her, and Ben asks what her parents will have a problem with. He asks, with my age? Mahogany says yes, the age difference, and she is in her early 20s, and he is 52. She says her dad is an amazing person in her life. Her dad is very important to her. So she wasn't comfortable meeting Ben, and she felt scared, and she also didn't trust Ben. Ben says he knows Mahogany hasn't been comfortable. He says he has a lot of work to do to impress her father and it will be difficult. He says he has his work cut out for him. Ben says that he knows that Mahogany loves her dad and she should love her dad, but he thinks he influences her into thinking Ben came to Peru for the wrong reasons or that he might have bad intentions. Ben thinks it has to do with him communicating with her dad and having that talk. He asks to meet her parents tonight, and she says she'll ask them to come, but it will be difficult. He asks her to definitely ask them, and she agrees. Ben says Mahogany and him need to spend more time together so that she will feel more comfortable with him. But before they can do that, he needs to win her parents over. He says they can't continue the relationship while her parents are in her ear saying, don't trust this guy. Ben hopes they agree to meet him because it's clear to him if her parents don't approve of him, their relationship won't go anywhere. He doesn't seem to be considering Mahogany's wants. His only concern seems to be trying to manipulate Mahogany's parents to win their approval so he can get what he wants out of Mahogany. He doesn't really care how Mahogany feels or how the parents feel. He just cares about getting the relationship he wants with Mahogany, in my opinion. Back to Gino and Jasmine. They are packing to head home early from the nightmare trip. Gino says after the drama, he thinks they both want to move forward, so they are leaving early to change scenery. Gino saved the toothbrush that Jasmine threw outside. He rescued it. Gino says when Jasmine threw the toothbrush into the woods, he felt like she was throwing away their whole relationship. He wanted to grab it because he can change the the toothbrush head, and it's like new. He wouldn't want to waste it. He seems incredibly thrifty. Jasmine is mentally drained, but she feels Gino is trying his best to show he is sorry for his actions. Jasmine says it will be hard to build back the trust. I would never trust the guy again after he sends my nudes to his ex-girlfriend to make her jealous, but these two are both nuts. 
Jasmine wants to believe that giving him the second chance means Gino will put lots of effort into their relationship and that that will make them succeed as a couple. We find out just as Gino kept the toothbrush, Jasmine took one of his t-shirts because she wanted something to remember him by. Gino admits also that he found her fingernail and he put it in his bag because he thought that's all he had left of her. I think they both need their heads examined. I don't remember what movie. It was definitely some stoner comedy. I can't remember exactly which one, but there was this guy who had a crush and he made a hair doll out of his crush's hair. And this reminds me of that keeping her fingernail. I think it's bizarre. I think it's obsessive. Gino says he wanted to always keep that piece of Jasmine with him. He has like 10 pens in his bag to write and we find out because he says they don't last long. He's going through his bag trying to forage to find the fingernail. He's taking out all these 10 million pens he has in his messy backpack, but he can't seem to find the fingernail. He says he misplaced it, but would much rather have Jasmine than the fingernail. What the fuck? Jasmine says keeping someone's fingernail is kind of weird, but cute at the same time, but that's Gino. I can understand keeping something an ex made you or gifted you, maybe even the t-shirt, even though that's a little borderline, but the fingernail keeping someone's fingernail is beyond. I don't think it's cute. It seems incredibly obsessive and creepy to me. But she thinks it's cute, so to each their own, and again, every pot has their lid, so... Tomorrow, they're going to go meet Jasmine's mom. Gino is very excited and Jasmine is nervous after everything that's happened. And she says her mom is overprotective because she has seen her daughter suffer a lot, especially after her divorce from her husband. And she doesn't want Jasmine to be hurt anymore. And she isn't sure about Gino's intentions. So Jasmine wants to know what her mom has to say. Gino says the trip was a step backwards for them. And now he only has a week and a half to win back Jasmine's trust. He says the time visiting her mom is critical and will determine their future. Next up are Jimena and Mike. I was initially kind of excited for them, and I always had reservations regarding um, how much money was a motivation for Jimena. But when I saw the proposal and her in tears and how her whole family reacted, it turned me around a little bit. But uh, now I'm super concerned. I was concerned initially about Jimena marrying Mike to have a better life and for financial stability, but not for love. And now that's becoming more and more apparent that this is just about money and Mike being her money tree. Mike and Jimena are headed to the wedding dress shop and Mike says Jimena is being very quiet. She's being very quiet and dismissive and standoffish. And he asks her how things are going and she says, normal, very dismissively that things are normal. And she rolls her eyes when she's saying it. Once she saw Mike won't pay for her boobs and her stomach surgery, she pulled away, which makes it incredibly clear that Mike is her money tree and golden ticket, and I hope he figures it out. Her whole demeanor shifted once he arrived and once she found out he's not going to pay for the surgeries. Mike says he's never been married before, but typically a bride is excited to get their wedding dress. Jimena says yes, but the groom can't see the dress because it's bad luck. In confessional, Jimena says it bothers her that Mike was interrogating her the night before because she stayed out. And now Mike wants to wedding dress shop even though her mom and sister couldn't join them and she really wanted to bring them. She thinks it's strange Mike wants to come to her wedding dress shopping. Now, typically moms, sisters, friends, aunts all join in and the bride goes with them to find the wedding dress, but the fiance doesn't come. So that is a little strange. I think Mike's forcing the issue to reassure himself, but in the end, if even if 
uh, Jimena had the best intentions and was in love with him, this forcing to go with her and going alone with her to get the wedding dress would alienate her even more if she, even if she had the right intentions. He said since he's paying for the dress, he wants to buy it while he's here. Mike assures Jimena he'll wait on the other side of the store and he won't see the dress. I think he should wait if he wants Jimena to enjoy picking a dress till her mom and sister can attend so she can do it the way she wants to in the traditional way. I also don't think Jimena is into Mike. I think it's obvious. She saw him as her money tree, and now that he said no to paying for the plastic surgery, her demeanor has completely shifted, and that should tell Mike everything he needs to know. But I don't think he's 100% got it yet. He's trying to buy her a dress because it will reassure him she's invested in marrying him. All she wants is her surgeries paid for. That's her priority, and she's making it super obvious. But Mike keeps pushing for a sign that Jimena is still on board and still on the same page with him romantically and on board for the wedding. Mike says in the past few days, Jimena has given him different signals and it's making him nervous. Even though it isn't typical for the man to go wedding dress shopping, he hopes that when Jimena sees herself in a wedding dress, it makes her happy again, and that will show him she does want to marry him. Jimena asks for her budget and he says 800 she tries on a dress and says she looked in a mirror and said, wow, she looks just like a princess. The way it fits her is divine. But something is keeping her from enjoying the experience as much as she should. She isn't happy with Mike right now. She has something to discuss with him. He asks how dress shopping was because he's not he's sitting far away from her. He's obviously not paying attention to the dress like he's supposed to. And she says it was good. She looks divine. She looked like a princess. But she asks him why he will pay for her wedding dress, but not he's not willing to give her any money for her operations while they are still sitting in the wedding dress shop. Mike explains, because the operation doesn't make sense to him. She says it makes sense because if she gets the plastic surgery, she can work as a model. Surgery or not, Ford Modeling Agency won't be calling her anytime soon. I wonder what type of modeling she expects to do. Mike says he likes her boobs as is. She doesn't need the surgery. And she says she doesn't have boobs and she wants to get the surgery the day after he leaves for New York. So she needs the money this week. She asks, do you understand? She explains in confessional that she's not getting the surgery for Mike. She's getting it for her because she wants to have different boobs. If it's for her, then she should get the money for herself. She should work hard and get the money and pay for the surgery herself. She doesn't understand why Mike doesn't get it. I think this is so fucked up. She says she always wanted to be a model and this will help her get modeling work. How inflated is her ego to think she will get actual modeling work if she just gets some boobs and a tummy tuck? If she wants to be a cam girl, there's a million. She can if she wants to do that. But a fashion model, high fashion like runway, no way. She's really immature and has unrealistic perceptions of herself. She asks Mike to pay for her boobs. He says maybe. She says no. He has to say yes. She says, first the surgery, then the wedding dress, okay? Mike says he feels like Jimena is giving him an ultimatum that if he doesn't pay for the surgery, then there's no wedding dress, and with no dress, there's no wedding. He isn't for the surgery because of complications, and it's going to cost $5,000 for the surgery she wants. He says that money should be used for their future together, but that doesn't seem to be on Jimena's mind, and it hurts Mike that it's not on her mind. He says he doesn't want to talk about the surgery anymore. She says, why not? It's normal. And she tells him the wedding dress isn't getting bought. I hope Mike gets it now, once and for all, that she's really not into him. Run, Mike, run. Next up are Memphis and Hamza. 
Memphis asks Hamza if he thinks they shouldn't marry on this trip. He says he needs more time before marrying her. He has doubts about Memphis. His mom warned him not to rush into it and to take his time because marriage isn't a game and marriage is forever. He considered his mom's advice and thought she may be right. Memphis says she can't understand why Hamza asked her to marry him and had her do all this preparing for nothing. She says it's ridiculous. And she asks why he asked her to marry him if he didn't want to get married. Memphis says Hamza lies and he says no, he didn't lie. She tells him he's not nice and she doesn't have a long time to be in Tunisia and she needs to know if he wants to marry her this trip or not. She wants to be with Hamza, but if he doesn't want to marry her, she will leave. She says if there's no marriage by the end of the trip, then there's no more relationship after the trip. He says he's afraid of her because of her many exes and also the one divorce she had. He's afraid he'll end up like all her other exes and she will leave him. She tells him not to be afraid of the past and to look forward to the future. She says Hamza needs to trust her. Hamza says Memphis doesn't trust him. She asks the prenup, meaning is that why he feels untrusted by her? Hamza explains he isn't scared of signing the prenup. He wants Memphis to trust him. She says she does trust him, but she wants the prenup signed. It's not about her not trusting him. It's about her protecting her children. And if he can't understand that, then they shouldn't get married at all. Hamza asks Memphis what she is protecting her children from. And she explains if they divorce, she doesn't want him taking half of her money that should go to her kids. So she needs the prenup signed. She asks Hamza if he wants to marry her, and he says, okay. Memphis was shocked by Hamza wanting to delay the wedding, and it makes her even more scared to tell him about her ex-husband and how she spent four nights there, but she wants to lay everything on the line because she wants the relationship to work. She wants to be honest about everything. She tells Hamza when they started dating, she stayed at her ex-husband's house, and he asks why. She explained she felt very down, and he told her she could stay, so she spent four nights at his house, but nothing happened sexually. Hamza asks Memphis if she is crazy. He says, fuck this shit, and he walks away. He says Memphis fucked him over, and now he is reconsidering marrying her. Next up are Gino and Jasmine. They go to David Panama to meet Jasmine's mom and sister. Gino says things aren't back to normal yet, but meeting her mom is a big step, and he feels they're getting back on track. It's a big relief. I can't believe after that level of a violation by Gino that Jasmine is even taking him back. I wouldn't. I think they are both nuts. The only man her mom ever met was Jasmine's ex-husband, so her mom knows it's serious. Jasmine says they have a lot of, to work on, and she doesn't want any more fights, not even a small one. Gino wants them to grow their relationship. Jasmine says no more dark secrets that they're supposed to be best friends because they are partners in life now. Jasmine says they should each be each other's person that they trust the most in the world. Jasmine says she's angry at Gino still, but she envisions a future with him. She wants to see what her mom thinks when she meets Gino. And Jasmine mentions, and I give her credit for this, that her youngest son lives with her mom, but she made sure that her kids were with her ex because she doesn't want Gino meeting them until she's 100% sure about marrying Gino. I appreciated that she is careful who she introduces to her kids. They're, they get to the hotel, and there are a ton of stairs with no elevator whatsoever. So Jasmine walks up the stairs nonchalantly. She goes to the room, and she has Gino carry up all the bags. Jasmine yawns, so Gino suggests she naps, and he says if it's okay with her, he will go out a bit to explore to the town. 
And she asks if he knows the process. And he says, evidence and reports. And she says, good boy. She explains that Gino has to report to her on a daily basis where he is at all times when he's not with her. Jasmine says after what he did, she won't make it easy for him and he will have to work hard to gain her confidence. And they are back to square one. Gino says a lot of trust was lost, but he has a plan to show Jasmine how determined he is to win back her trust. His goal was to find out if Jasmine was a soulmate and he wants to be with her the rest of his life. She fulfills everything. He looks for in a woman, and she is caring, intelligent, sexy, and hot, but she also has a good heart, so he's go- he goes out, he's going to buy her an engagement ring, and he will propose to her before he returns to the United States. He initially picks a white gold ring that's around $1,000, and then he looks at the other cheaper rings, asking for the price. One ring is $270, the other ring is $250, and he picks the ring he thought was $250, it's actually $270, and Gino says... Most people spend two or $3,000 on an engagement ring, and Jasmine likes the finer things in life, but he's on a budget and he's unemployed. He said, it's not the cost of the ring that matters, but the love that matters. He hopes Jasmine sees how serious he is with the ring, and despite all the problems, he hopes Jasmine will say yes. Back to Ben and Mahogany. Ben says he is headed to Mahogany's house where she lives with her parents, or at least that's the impression he got, because they agreed to meet with him. He's in jeans and a shirt and a black business suit jacket with a messenger bag. It's a very weird outfit. I think it's the same black suit jacket that he wore on the airplane. And Ben says he's relieved that the parents will meet him, but he's also nervous because everything hinges on this one moment. And he has to do the best job he has ever done at charming parents. He says there's a huge age gap. There's the language barrier. And he knows the parents have a huge influence on mahogany, but he hopes he wins them over. Mahogany welcomes Ben to her home. It was difficult getting her parents to agree to meet Ben, especially with her dad, but they agreed and said they want to meet him and see what Ben is like. Mahogany is nervous and she hopes their opinion will change once they meet Ben. Ben asks where Mahogany's parents sleep because he thought she lived with them and she explains she lives alone. She has her own apartment. Ben says he didn't know she had her own place and he thought her parents lived with her. Ben says in their texts, she definitely told him a month ago she lived with her parents. Ben says it's different than what he expected and he felt as she gave him a tour of her place that she wasn't familiar with the place and that there were games he thinks she has never played and decorations and a surfboard that she has never used. He says everything looks way too expensive and it seems strange, but he isn't at the point to accuse her and judge her for being dishonest yet. Ben tells Mahogany he is nervous because the blessing and acceptance of her parents will make or break their relationship. Mahogany just says, yes, I know. She seems kind of indifferent. Ben says in confessional that this is a weird moment because Mahogany didn't tell him the truth about her living situation. So he's trying to figure out what else she hasn't told him. He's also trying to hold it together to stay focused on achieving his goal of approval of her parents. He says he's thrown off now because he traveled all this way and he doesn't know if he can trust Mahogany. Mahogany's parents arrive and we are left in slight suspense as we go back to Jasmine and Gino. They're going to meet Jasmine's mom and sister, but first they're checking out the town. They're walking around and Jasmine is vegan, but Gino loves meat. So she makes him try a delicacy, pig's feet, and she insists that he try it. She goes, let's go to the park so you can eat the cute little animal that has died for you. 
Needless to say, the whole thing was disgusting. Gino's face was disgusting. The whole thing was revolting. And we go back to Kim and Usman. They will be taking a spice tour in Zanzibar. And Kim is in confessional saying how she is Usman's girlfriend now. She says it about 10 million times as if no one knew. She boasts in confessional, yay, Kim, you won, girl. And she does a dance with her jiggly batwing arms. It's incredibly cringeworthy, incredibly embarrassing and humiliating. I don't know how she danced like that on camera. I don't like how she says she won. When Usman capitulated to sex and he said she was going to get sex, she kept saying she won. And now she's saying she won because Usman made her his girlfriend. As if he's a prize. He's a human being, not an inanimate object or a trophy. It makes Usman an object she had to beg for. She should want someone who wants to be with her. I think it's gross how she is so happy saying she won. It's a very weird attitude she has. Kim feels there's a shift and her confidence level went up 50%. She's happy. She says they will have fun today and go home and have more fun. So uh, they go to the spice tour in Zanzibar. Usman thinks it will be very romantic. The guide asks how long they've been together. Kim says they've known each other for a year, but they only have been boyfriend and girlfriend for a day. The guide says love is like a grass that can grow anywhere. The guide says that a lot of couples go on the spice tour and she says spices have romantic uses. Drinking them makes you high and you enjoy it with your partner during night food. And she explains that night food means sex. And apparently nutmeg is an aphrodisiac. I didn't know that nutmeg was classified an aphrodisiac. Earlier, Usman compared his thing to a cassava. So they come across a cassava plant or tree. And he asks the guide if it produces big or small cassavas. And she says big. And Kim says, I hope I get that cassava tonight. They bring out a small size cassava to sample. And Usman says they grow differently in Nigeria. And he says... Just ask Kimberly. She knows it. Any man who talks about how big they are too much typically has a baby dick or a not impressive dick, honestly, from my experiences in life. Guys with good ones don't mention how well endowed they are. They have a very shy, quiet confidence about it. They don't need to bring it up because they know it's good. They bring Usman and Kim crowns made of palm fronds. Usman says even though Kim is his girlfriend in public, he can't kiss her on the lips when they're out in public because of his culture. And he knows she may be disappointed, but in public he feels cheek kisses should suffice and they should be enough. Usman says there are roadblocks in their relationship with his culture, but he wants their relationship to work, so he wants to be honest with Kim. He wants to tell her that the song Zara is based on a real relationship Since the video will be out soon, he thinks it's very important to tell Kimberly about it soon. As soon as Usman says there is something he needs to talk about with Kim, her mood completely shifts, her demeanor shifts, her face changes from all smiles to resting bitch face in less than half a second. He says he knows she was honest with him, so now they're in a relationship and he doesn't want Kim going back to the United States and finding out about Zara on social media. He tells her there's a lady Zara and it cuts back to Jasmine and Gino. They're enjoying the day and they will go to meet Jasmine's mom and sister and it's the first time Gino will meet them. He's already bought the engagement ring for Jasmine so it's important he makes a good impression on her family. He brought her mom chocolates and Jasmine will help him write a card in Spanish. Jasmine says she wants to be with him but it's very important that her mom gives them her blessing. If not, Jasmine says she won't be with Gino. Jasmine values her mom's opinion because with her ex-husband, her mom had second thoughts and Jasmine didn't listen to them and it ended in divorce. So she wants to be very cautious. Her mom is old-fashioned and very religious and she's very direct. She's very overprotective. 
Jasmine tells Gino that her mom is very overprotective of her and very traditional. Jasmine didn't tell her mom that she met Gino online on a dating site. She told her mom they met through an international conference with the university that she works for. She wanted her mom to approve of the relationship. She warns Gino not to mention him wanting her to have kids right away or that he brought a pregnancy test with him. She says those things please don't mention because her mom will get a bad idea about Gino if he mentions those things. Gino says he felt good about meeting Jasmine's mom because usually moms like him, but after Jasmine warned him, he's now uncomfortable about it. Gino hopes Jasmine's mom will be less critical than Jasmine is making her out to be. Jasmine lets Gino know on the way there that if her mom says no to Gino, even though she loves him, she won't marry him. Jasmine feels her mom knows best and she's nervous about what she will say. Jasmine warns Gino that if they eat something, her mom is very religious, her mom will ask to pray, and she warns Gino he must remove his hat out of respect during the prayer. She knows he'll be uncomfortable, but it's a respect thing during the prayer and it's really important. Gino says he won't be removing his hat even if the mom asks for a few moments during prayer, he's not willing to do it. Jasmine says it shouldn't be a big deal, but she knows that it is for him. What the fuck? Gino already has bought her a ring. He got a second chance when no other woman in the world, no other woman in Jasmine's shoes would be giving him one. Now he's meeting the mom and Jasmine made clear that if the mom says no to him, she will not marry him. She pre-warned him and out of respect for a few moments, he can't remove his hat to show respect during prayer. What the fuck is wrong with Gino? I get his lack of hair. I get his hair situation, the lack thereof. I get that it sucks, but just take off the fucking hat. It's two minutes during the prayer and put it back on. He removed his hat for security when they went to the island. Why not for this? He's a fucking idiot. In confessional, Jasmine says, come on, you're going to be meeting my mother. Just take off the fucking hat. That's silly. And I have to agree with her. Jasmine says Gino is so delicate when anyone talks about his hats. He says asking him to remove his hat makes him anxious and uncomfortable. He wants to be himself and he prefers how he looks with the hat. He says a lot of a lot is riding on Jasmine's mom's blessing, so this could be a big problem. Back to Hamza and Memphis. Memphis says she realizes for both of them to trust each other, they have to be truthful about everything before they tie the knot. But Hamza walking away from her makes her feel alone and upset that he isn't taking time to figure out what's going on. She follows him into the apartment and asks him to talk, and he asks her to stop. He says he's tired. She insists, let's talk. He asks why she didn't tell him about this before with her spending time at her ex-husband's. She said she didn't think it was important for him to know because they had just started dating. He says she didn't respect him. She says she did respect him. They didn't share a bed. They didn't have sex. And she wants him to trust her, and that is why she's telling him about it now. He asks if she would want him to go to sleep at one of his ex-girlfriend's houses, and she says no. Hamza says there's a difference between her telling him before and her telling him about it now. Memphis felt she should tell him when they got married so there were no skeletons in the closet. He says it's not okay. Hamza's mom asks what's wrong and for Hamza to come out and tell her what's wrong. And he asks his mom to come in his room and he explains that Memphis spent four nights at her ex's and she should have told him about it before rather than waiting till now. The mom tells him she, she told him not to rush into the marriage. She asked what Hamza will do about it. Hamza doesn't know what the solution is. His mom goes to speak to Memphis. She says she should have told Hamza earlier. She asks if she slept at her husband's house. Memphis explains, yes, she did at her ex-husband's house. The mom asks why she didn't tell Hamza about this before. 
Hamza joins them and asks Memphis what was the reason she slept at her ex-husband's house. She says it's personal, but she needed moral support. He asks, what support did you need? Money? And the mom explains moral support, that Memphis had a problem and needed someone to lift her spirits. The mom jokes, is there no one but her ex-husband for that, to lift her spirits? And Hamza asks why Memphis Memphis didn't go somewhere else other than to her ex-husband's, like to her sister or her friends for moral support. Memphis says that she doesn't have a lot of friends, but she needed someone to be there for her. She asks Hamza to speak privately and that she will explain in private. They go to the room, they take their mics off, they talk in the room, and then Memphis comes out of the room. She's emotional, she's crying because she had to talk about things she prefers not to, about very hard times in her life. The producer asked what caused the dark time where she needed support. Memphis explained she failed her state boards. She's a nurse practitioner, as we know. She failed the first time and she lost it. She was very depressed. She didn't want to eat or get up or do anything at all. She couldn't take care of her kids. She couldn't even eat herself. So her ex-husband, who's also the father of her kids, stepped up. He fed Memphis. He took care of her kids. And she laid in bed for four days and then she got up. Hamza tells Memphis it's okay. She's in tears. She says it was hard and if she didn't turn to her ex for support, her decisions at that time would have been detrimental to her life. Memphis asks Hamza if he understands if he still loves her and if he still wants to marry her. And he says yes. And Hamza has tears in his eyes. You can tell that he genuinely does care for Memphis. And he says when Memphis told him about it, he understood and it made him sad. And he wishes Memphis went to him for support and asked him for support. Hamza says that it's very important to him that he is the only man in Memphis's life, that that's imperative. The mom asked Hamza if they made peace, and Hamza explains that Memphis told him what happened, and he understands. Back to Ben and Mahogany. Her parents arrive, and Ben is nervous and freaked out. He says, Mahogany told him things that don't add up, and he's supposed to win her parents' approval, but he doesn't even know if he can trust Mahogany right now. Her parents say they came to meet Ben, and the dad's biggest worry is that Ben might be coming to try and take advantage of his daughter, Mahogany. He's particularly worried that his daughter is on the internet being courted by men older than her. Mahogany is nervous because ever since she told her parents about Ben, they warned her about the huge age difference, and they also warned her that she shouldn't trust a person that she meets online and that it's very hard to trust a person that you meet online. And she also feels it's very hard to trust a person that you meet online. She hopes meeting Ben will calm her parents' fears. Ben brought the dad a wallet as a gift and the mom soup mugs and coffee mugs as a gift. The parents have lots of questions. The dad asks, what can you say, Ben, as a 50-year-old person being here with a younger lady? What can you say about that? And Ben says that he believes love knows no age. He then says love of daughter in Spanish. And it comes out very, very wrong and very, very bad. And Mahogany goes, what do you mean? It came across terribly, of course, because it's Ben trying to speak Spanish. He says, love of daughter. And what he's trying to say is, I'm in love with your daughter. The mom asks, am I understanding correctly that this man is saying he loves, he's in love with you, that he loves you already? And the dad says, in three months, very skeptically, Like, in three months, you love my daughter? Like, he's incredibly skeptical about it. And Ben says, yes, in three months. The dad says it's very exaggerated to say that in three months, Ben is in love. The father has doubts. He says the age difference is abysmal. The father thinks over time, Mahogany is going to realize that the age difference is abysmal, too. 
Ben tells them Mahogany is mature, and the mom says Mahogany is very mature despite her age of 22 years old. Ben thought she was 24, so he looks at Mahogany in front of her parents and asks, You're 22? She asks, You don't know my age? Ben says he thought she was 24, and she says, Oh my God, and all this is playing out in front of her parents. He says, So, no, he didn't know she was 22. She tells her parents he didn't know she was 22. The mom asks Ben if he thought Mahogany was older. He says yes, he thought she was two years older than 22. Mahogany tells him he made a mistake and he blames the translation app, but he says in confessional he's 100% sure Mahogany told him she was 23 when they first met and on her birthday he wished her a happy 24th birthday and she never denied it or corrected him. He says there was more than a miscommunication on this one. They're all sitting in awkward silence, staring at each other, and Ben says, abruptly and very weirdly, out of the blue, he says, I have to go back to the hotel. He has to go back to his hotel. Ben says this isn't how he expected the night to go. The house isn't her house for sure, according to him. He says, because there are no photos of her anywhere. And he found out that she's not 24, but 22. He says he knows it's only a two-year age difference to what he thought, but he has a 22-year-old daughter. He says the fake house, the age change, it's all freaking him out. He feels ready to go to the airport and head home. He says it's weird. It is weird, Ben. Whether she's 22 or 24, he could be her father, and it's really weird he was pursuing her in the first place, and it's his fault he finds himself in this mess at all at his age. Back to Mike and Jimena. Mike says he's been back in Colombia for days and things aren't going well. He says Jimena has been distant and standoffish, and he's frustrated that Jimena wasn't interested in buying the wedding dress and that the only thing she cares about is her plastic surgery, so it doesn't seem like they are on the same page about anything. Mike asks Jimena if she's ready for bed. She says yes, but she will sleep with her kids, and he can sleep in the other room. Mike asks if they can speak privately because her kids are in the room, and so she asks her kids to go play in another room, and they talk. Mike says since he arrived in Colombia, the kids have slept in the bed with them. They haven't been intimate yet during the whole trip. Now she doesn't want Mike in the bed with her, and it makes Mike feel like they are not like they are getting even more distant. Mike says he's confused, and he asks Jimena if they will hook up this trip or not. Jimena says no, she doesn't want to, and Mike asks why. She says Mike's weird. And she doesn't like how he's always around her, following her around, right on top of her. If she goes one way, he follows. If she stops eating, he stops eating. If she dislikes something, he'll dislike it too. She feels that Mike imitates her and it annoys the fuck out of her. Jimena says Mike is very affectionate, but it's too much. She never liked people to always be right there on top of her, in her face, like it seems very suffocating for her. He says, I love you every few minutes, and she doesn't like that. It's constant affection. I think she feels suffocated. She likes space, and she doesn't like a needy man. She says it's stressful and exhausting for her. She says on top of all that, he refuses to pay for her surgery. That's the most important thing to her right now. She can't ignore these things anymore that get under her skin. Mike tells her he'll stop. He'll give her more space. He'll be different. She says she woke up the day before yesterday and he was staring at her strangely, watching her sleep. She says she feels he doesn't sleep so he can spy on her and stare at her as she sleeps. She doesn't like it. She wants him to sleep away from her. Mike says he isn't spying on her. He just likes to look at her because she's beautiful when she sleeps. She tells Mike he's losing her by being that way. He apologizes. He says he'll change. 
I don't think he understands social cues. Jimena says, hopefully to him, that hopefully he'll change. She says, while this passes, she wants space and she wants time and she doesn't want to get married yet. She wants to get married eventually, but not yet. Mike says Jimena seems like a different person and he feels she isn't into the relationship anymore. He's confused because he loves her very much. He wants to spend his life with her. He wants to know if she loves him. So he asks her, do you love me? And she says, no, she doesn't love him. I believe that Jimena is in it for the money and she may have had some shred of like for him. It wasn't the same level of love Mike had. She might have, she was disgusted by him, but I feel like at first she thought, oh, he's sweet, like a little bit, a, a slight, a slight acceptance of him, like a tolerance, a willing to toler, a willingness to tolerate him. And she had that willingness initially, but I think Mike is very affectionate. He's very clingy. He's very needy. He needs constant reassurance and to be constantly glued to her. And she likes a man who is independent, who is sure of himself, who doesn't need that constant reassurance and validation, who's not saying, I love you every 10 seconds. And I can understand that. I, don't, I disagree completely with the way she's using Mike, with the way she's at demanding money for surgery. All of that is completely wrong, that she expects him to be her money tree. And I think that's completely wrong. But I can understand that Mike is a little bit too needy and she likes a little more space. I think once Mike stopped being the money tree and said no to the surgery, she no longer wanted to put up with all of the level of neediness that he has. Her main goal was money. Once she couldn't get the surgery money, she found him to be too much and she tolerated his neediness because of the money. I think she did have a small amount of tolerance to um, put up with him, like a half a sliver, half a shred, not even that of what he felt for her. I mean, and then his neediness just felt very suffocating for her and she couldn't handle it anymore. She tolerated him for the money. And then when he said no with the surgery, she just said, I can't fucking do this anymore. And I completely think that what she's doing is wrong. It's unfair to Mike. It's not fair of her to expect him to, to pay for half her rent, her furniture, her surgeries now, and to use the wedding dress and the wedding as an ultimatum. Like if she doesn't, if he doesn't pay for her surgeries, then she won't marry him. That's completely wrong. But I can also see on the flip side how Mike can be a little too needy and demanding and affectionate and just the constant need of reassurance and I love you and I love you and I love you. It can be too much. Next time on Before the 90 Days, Ben meets Mahogany's friends and he asks them what they want him to know as her new boyfriend. And they answer that they didn't think he was her boyfriend. They thought he was just a friend. So in front of Mahogany's friends... Ben asks Mahogany if she considers him a boyfriend or just a friend. Gino asks Jasmine's mom for her blessing, and her mom says she is worried Jasmine will go to the U.S. and end up alone. Mike says things between him and Jimena have been so tense, so his friend will translate and talk with both of them. Jimena says Mike does disgusting things, he has rude manners and rude behaviors, and his friend tells Mike Jimena is disgusted by him, and his friend says Jimena doesn't even seem happy to be near Mike at all. Memphis and Hamza sit with an older man. I'm not sure if it's Hamza's dad or a translator yet. I can't make that out. But Memphis says she has to have a relationship with her kid's father, who happens to be her ex-husband. And obviously, she has to maintain some type of relationship with him so that they can co-parent. Hamza says that's not normal, and he can't stop worrying that Memphis might still have a relationship with her ex-husband, and that maybe there are feelings there still between them. Usman tells Kim about a lady Zara he was talking to Kim for two weeks 
And then he started talking to this lady, Zara, and that's who the song is about. And he explains this to Kim. And Kim says, how dare you keep a secret from me? She says she's been loyal this whole time and Usman is making her look like a fool and she walks to the car. I'd say Kim made a fool of herself. She made herself look like a fool with the begging for sex and the bragging that she won about Usman being her boyfriend. She's 50 acting like she has the maturity of a 20-year-old and she did it to herself. And I'm not saying I agree with Usman withholding this information. He should have told her up front when she asked what the song Zara meant. But also, she also makes a fool of herself with her desperation and her thirstiness and the way she carries on with the level of mental maturity she has. That does it for this episode of Before the 90 Days. Thanks so much for watching. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe. See you guys next week. Bye.